we know that you will love this podcast. So shut your mouth and listen to Canadian Bushcraft. Hey there, Dragonfly Nation. This is the Canadian Bushcraft Podcast with your host, Caleb Musgrave. And I want to wish a happy Father's Day to all the dads out there, whether you're a dad of a newborn child or the father of a 50-year-old child. This day is meant to honor the tradition of fatherhood. And so, on that note, I figured let's talk about my dad. My dad has been part of my life since day one. Uh, I'm very blessed that way. I have a privilege that many people out there in the world don't sadly have, and that is a dad that's been in my life since day one. My father has done, oh man, miles, kilometers, fathoms, which is actually much smaller than a kilometer. It's only six feet as a fathom, which is stunning. But anyways, he's done miles of work to make sure that I'm fed, to make sure that I'm healthy, to make sure that I am educated, that I'm an upstanding person. He's done a lot for me over the years. And we always we didn't always see eye to eye. In fact, it wasn't until my early 20s that him and I started to really get along. And I think that's the case for a lot of kids with their dads. Because the dad, sadly, with our, you know, Western form of gender roles, seems to have to be the enforcer, has to be the disciplinarian, has to be the scary one. And that's really not great. But that's what my father had to do and I wasn't an easy kid to raise I think I've talked about that in the past on previous episodes I was a very uh, hard to deal with kid for teachers for parents for siblings for everyone Uh, and because of that my dad had a tough task and that was to make sure that I grew up to be an upstanding citizen or upstanding person and Honestly, I think he did a pretty good job. I think. I'm trying to be as humble as I can on that because it definitely wasn't because of anything I did. It was definitely everything what him and my mother did and what my family did to help make sure that I'm a good person. My father... Mm, spent a good, long time with me in the woods. I was really blessed that way. And... Throughout my years, he would make sure that I would know things. My dad was a bush Indian, as much as he uh, as much as he could be in the modern day, because he was in a very uh, not so remote environment. We his his community of our community of Hiawatha First Nation is less than twenty five minute drive from the city of Peterborough, and so I can't say that we are you know deep northern Canadian wilderness kind of bush Indians, but my dad is a bush Indian. He's Nishnabic. And he grew up with a father and a mother that were, frankly, they were poor. And they fed them what they could. My father was raised on fish, big game, small game. Oh man, a lot of stuff. My... My father lived off a lot of foods that a lot of people today would look at as just survival rations. But is the truth what our people have eaten since time immemorial. And so he tried to infuse that in our lives as much as possible. Our first year of life, with me at least, was up in Cassetuan, James Bay, where my mother had been for seven years. My dad for about three or four, maybe five years. My memory is not too sharp on how long my dad was up there. I believe it was about three or four years less than my mom. So about three or four years in total. 
and he was a police officer up there. He was a police officer in a few different indigenous communities up north before he met my mom. And once they got married and had my sister and then had me, when I was about a year old, he decided to make the decision, him and my mother made the decision, to move south to make sure that we were closer to his family and her family. My mom's family being in Quebec and Ottawa region and my father, be uh, his most of his family being in the Peterborough region, we moved to Saugeen. Well, Southampton, my dad worked in Saugeen First Nation for the next 18 years. And as an officer, you know, he had long hours, hard hours, tough tasks to perform. And all through it, he made sure that he spent time with me and my sister. And he made sure that we knew our heritage. On our, our very first moose hunt, it's my fa- it's still, I wouldn't say it's my favorite memory, but it's a memory that stuck with me since the moment it happened. My dad got down on his knees and he gathered pearly everlasting, what a lot of people call northern sage. Uh, it's pearly everlasting, though. It's actually not a member of the sage family. It's not salvia of any kind. But uh, he gathered it up and he made a small fire and he put that on there with some tobacco. And he spoke to those ancestors in front of me which is the first time I remember, honestly remember watching him do something like that, do ceremony. And I was only like 13, maybe 14 years old, maybe a little bit older. I don't think much older though. And he performed that ceremony and he wanted me to watch. He didn't want me to participate, even though he knew I was going to ceremony myself with elders, really well-respected elders who knew what they were doing and giving me good teachings. He knew that. But he wanted me to watch how he did it. And that was a lot of my upbringing with him. And I think that's one of the most beautiful ways to teach a kid. Is not have them do it necessarily with you the first time. But have them watch. Sit there and watch. And see how it's done in detail. And that was the same way he taught me how to use a knife. Same way he taught me how to fillet a fish. Same way he taught me how to skin and gut a deer. Same way he taught me how to do a lot of things. And the first time I gutted a deer was actually not with him, but that's because he was, you know, active duty officer. He had to work a lot of long hours. And so when a roadkill deer came up in the situation, he picked it up. He was able to, he was able to retrieve the deer and he brought it back and he hung it in the shed and he knew that he wouldn't have the time to teach me. So he found another father in the community to show me how to gut. And as we started work on the deer, my dad would come in when he had the time, before work or after work, and he would give tips of what he knew. And it would mostly just be him talking to the other father. And I would just sit there and listen. And that was a lot of our time spent when we were in the bush or when we were visiting other people in the bush. He would chat with them, they would chat with him, and I would see how they interact. And I would pick up skills from that, social skills, but also bush skills. And my dad would teach me from, I was as far as I can remember, he always taught. He always taught. And he would teach me things like how to dance for the powwow, men's traditional dancing. He would teach me the proper steps, make sure that my regalia was on proper. And he would show me those steps and make sure I knew them so that when that drum began, I knew how to dance right. And he made sure that I understood my language. My mother and him both worked hard to make sure that we knew our language and knew what they knew. My mother wasn't a language speaker. She's she's a Jaganash. She's non-native. She's a white woman. My father is Nishnavik. 
and yet she made sure as much as this is about fathers i got to mention my mom too because it's they both raised me and i got to acknowledge that both the duality of that raising me and they made sure that we had language in our lives my parents made sure that we had books that we had access to knowledge all the time and my dad even to this day when we go in the bush he tries to show me things and he does it not necessarily because he's trying to show off and he's not doing it necessarily to teach me but to make sure i remember but i think it's also because it's important to him whatever he's showing me is really important to him when i was in my early 20s my father had a very scary heart attack um i don't know how violent it was or how uh serious it was because i was kept in the dark from it after they got to the hospital for a little bit because i think they didn't want to scare me um i was the one that found him and when he got to that hospital i was at home waiting for my mom to let me know he's okay and eventually she came home and let me know that he was going to make it but he had to get uh, surgeries done he had to have certain operations done and i was scared out of my wits i was really scared and when he came back from that when he bounced back from that it took a while to bounce back as it would because it's a heart attack he made sure that anytime we were hunting he was a little bit more focused on knowing that i learned something and that he makes sure that he would show me something every time he would show me where <clears throat> our ancestors used to hunt and he would talk about those old people and he would point it out to me he made sure that i knew about those specific plants that were out there where we were hunting and as i learned later those plants were useful for hunting whether it was the creation of hunting smoke uh, which is a way of luring those animals closer to you or if it was in a way of making a smudge to kill your scent so the animals can't find you or uh, bust you or it was a way to show me how to track those animals whether it was red willow being chewed up or thrashed by moose or it was how the alders and the firs would get stripped by the uh, scraping of deer uh, antlers against them the antler rubs he would always make sure i knew those things and it wasn't just with hunting he taught me how to swing an axe i jokingly always say that he taught me by saying don't cut your damn leg off and that's true that is the only genuine lesson he gave me like flat out formal lesson but then i got to watch him swing an axe and i found out later my father was raised by one of the best sawyers and lumberjacks in the region one of the best woodcutters with a saw and an axe him and my uncle and to this day i have nothing but admiration for my uncle and my father for when it comes down to how an axe or a saw is used they they put me to shame every time they use those tools i i put mine away and let them do it well now that they're up a little bit older uh, it's my responsibility to use those tools but i always feel under equipped uh, physically mentally and emotionally for when they're watching me use those tools because they in my eyes are the masters my father's one of the best shooters i've ever met for for waterfowl for deer for moose all of that he's one of the best trackers i've ever met and i've met a lot of trackers i've met a lot of amazing trackers but my dad can break down a track in very few words and tell you everything you need to know about that animal what it was doing where it's going all of it he could tell 
things in the bush before I ever did. And even now, he's a little bit more observant than I am in nature. And when I do get to go in the woods with my father, which is not as often as it used to be, and that really is a shame, and I want to change that in the next few uh, next few months, if hopefully the next few weeks, to be frank. But uh, when I am out there with him, I'm always left in awe because he smiles a lot. Growing up with my dad, he did smile. I'm not going to make it sound like my dad was always stoic. That's not the case. My dad laughed. He made jokes. He still does a lot. He's got the classic dad joke mentality. He always has. Uh, bad, corny jokes are his forte. But when we're in the woods, he's all smiles. And I'm betting that's what I look like to a lot of people too when we get out there in the bush. But when I see my dad, it's it's joyful. He's, he's not smiling because he's okay and happy. He's, he's smiling because he's joyful. And that's what I always attain. I strive to attain. I strive to attain the level of Zen my dad has when we're in the woods. The, the three things I knew about my dad growing up was he loved movies, he loved golfing, and he loved hunting. Those are the three things I knew most about my dad as a child. And as I grew up, I learned more about him, how, how certain films made him feel, and why those films were so important to him. I found out more about his background and how he played in football down in Texas, and how he got to experience other cultures through the Saudi people that were going to school there, and the many other ethnic groups that were there, and he learned to understand not just tolerance, but respect for fellow human beings, for his fellow human beings. By seeing how he interacted with everybody we met, he would always make a friend everywhere we went. Everywhere we went, he'd make a friend. And I get that joke from a lot of people that I'm a bit of a social butterfly, that I seem to try and chum it up with everyone we go out with or meet up with or, or bump into. And I think I get that from him most. He was always friendly with everyone we met and always happy to meet them and always happy to share something with them, whether it was a meal or a coffee or a story. I bet I get my storytelling from him. I think I do. My mom's a great storyteller too, but my dad, he's full of them. He's full of amazing stories. And some of them are those big fish stories that you always grew up with your dad. But a lot of those so-called big fish stories turned out to be pretty true. A lot of them were really true. And I find that amazing. He was a ph phenomenal photographer. He was so fascinated by photography. He was fascinated by... Oddly enough, a lot of people think of my dad as like this quiet, stoic kind of guy that's sarcastic. And he's not... Some people might even think he's not well read up on. But he was fascinated by the sciences. Fascinated by mathematics, chemistry, biology, nature. These things fascinated him. And looking back, I always thought that we had the nature shows on for me. But as I look back, he was watching them hungrily like I was. And it makes sense. And a few months back, I got to stay with my dad for a few days. He had a he had an operation done, um, a procedure done. And my mom had to go down and take care of my nieces at my sister's place for a couple of days. And so I stayed up with my dad to make sure he didn't have to do too much, uh, too much laborious work. Make sure he can just get up, have some food, not have to worry about the dishes, not have to worry about the laundry. And he would just sit there and watch science programs the whole day, asking me how my day was, asking what I've been up to. 
but mostly watching science programs. And these were science programs that I would have watched on my own without him there. And I realized he's the one that had those shows on. He was finding what we could both watch when we were kids, when I was a kid. So he could be as educated, as entertained as I was. We could have talks about it. And he would take me when I was 12, 13 years old. He took me on my first deer hunt back here in Hiawatha. And we ended up bagging a deer. I believe it was my Uncle Arlen that bagged it. Uh, very, very fat doe. No, uh, no fawns around. Took that deer and we took it back. And I'd already skinned a deer, or gutted and skinned a deer that spring before with the roadkill. And now we were processing that deer. And my dad and my uncle, we hung it. We had nowhere else to hang it. So they hung it off of a swing set in my uncle's backyard. <laughs> and me and my cousin, uh, we're kind of messed up by that. That we, we were kind of uh, so not not taken aback or horrified by it, but we were so confused by the scene that we kind of had to just stand back and watch for a bit as my dad and my uncle hung that deer from a play set, from a swing set. And uh, we processed the deer, skinned it out, and all the way my dad was showing me, like, this is how you can sharpen your knife with the hair of that deer because it's so coarse. It can actually like dull your blade, but if you strop it using the grain of the hair, how the hair goes from neck or chest to, to rump, if you swipe your knife that way, it can kind of abrasively clean it back up like a strop on a butcher's, on a uh, barber's razor. And he'd show us those tricks, and he goes, and this is even more aggressive on a moose. You got to be really careful on a moose hide not to get your knife in there. It'll just dull your knife up. And that's true. It's very coarse hair. It's my, and a lot of people laughed about that when I mentioned that to them until I talked to a professional butcher. And they're like, yeah, those are microchips. Like it's not microchips as in what's in this phone, but microchipping and micro um, rolling of edges. And it's those little rolling of edges that cause your knife that when you start skinning and butchering, you get little flakes of meat stuck on the edge. you got to wipe them off to get them off the edge. Those are caused by cutting into that hair and cutting into that hide. So if you swipe your knife down from chest to rump, chest to rump, going with the grain of the hair or the direction of the hair's growth, you can bring that edge back to a little bit sharper. And my dad taught me that when I was like 12, 13 years old. And he would teach me things about firewood and he would teach me things about tree ID and he'd teach me things about survival and bushcraft without ever using those words. And so as I got older, I started to look more and more back at those things. Since I was about 27, 28 years old, I started to become more, uh, not nostalgic, that's not the word I'm thinking of, but looking back. I started looking back at my past more and observing how things came into my life. And a lot of it I always attributed to my mother because my mother was very involved, like very upfront about making sure that I went to ceremony, making sure I went to uh, lodge, making sure I got out on the land and took programs for that. But my dad was involved too. I never thought about it until I was in my late 20s, but my father was involved heavily with that stuff too. When I was 18, he got me my first firearm. My miner's license turned into a PAL, Possession Acquisitions License. And we began to take hunting even more seriously. And at first we'd go with my cousins and my uncles and all that. And then when I was about 23, 22, 23 years old, maybe a little bit older. Uh, it was 2012. 
I believe it was. So that's eight years ago. I'm 32 now. So I was 20, actually older than that. I must have been like 24. I can't do math right now. I'm too tired. It's almost midnight where I am recording. So I'm a little tired. But we went out on our own. We were originally going to go with a bunch of different people and it all fell through. Everybody fell through. And by the end of it, it was just me and my dad. And I'm like, well, let's do the trip anyways. And we went up moose hunting up towards Mantuaj, north of Marathon, Ontario. Uh, we were south of Mantuaj, north of Marathon. And we spent the whole week just out in the bush together. And we got to experience things that we never experienced when I was younger hunting with him because there'd be always other people. And that was one of the most fulfilling times of my, of my life was going hunting with just my dad. When I was younger, he was the one that always took me, not by the hand, but beside him and showed me like, this is where the deer are going to move. This is how they're going to run through. This is where your gun needs to be. And now as an adult, I was seeing those things and he was observing me see those things. And now he's giving me even more details. Now he's telling me stories instead of just expecting me to learn and build my own stories. He started telling me stories of when he went out with his father for moose and when he went out for with his father for deer and he was starting to have those nostalgic moments thinking about his past and as we get older in our lives as men we see more of ourselves in our children in their personalities in their traits and some of that is nature but some of that is nurture we put that into them and so he was seeing me make mistakes that he had made in this past. Not just in hunting and bush skills, but in life. And you could tell it was bothering him. And I think that's when he would get bothered the most, was when it was things that he clearly did at my age too. And I think it was more embarrassment than actual anger. Back then I would always think, man, he's always mad at me. And now I'm like, oh, maybe he wasn't mad at me. Maybe he was just kind of embarrassed. Not necessarily, probably by me, but also probably by how he used to must have been like. Because we're not too different. There's always those like talks like, uh, you're going to become your father. There's always that threat, you're always going to become your father. In a lot of ways, I hope I become my father. He's a doting grandfather, a loving, loving grandfather. He's a knowledge holder and a knowledge keeper. He is a wisdom a wealth of wisdom that although a lot of my family, my sister and I tease him and we roll our eyes when he says silly things or sometimes absurd things, he is one of the wisest people I know in a lot of ways. And his knowledge never seems to fail. He always has another tidbit of information for me. And since I was like 25, 26 years old and realized he was such a wealth of this information that I just never knew about before, I'll ask him questions. I'll be like, hey, so I was trying to, I was trying to do this in the sugar bush this year and it wasn't working out too well. I would just say it like that. I would play it off like I didn't mean to ask him. And he would play back. He'd be like, oh, well, did you try this? Yeah, I tried that. Huh. Well, did you try this? Yeah, I did that. Well, did you try this? Well, no, I didn't try that. He goes, ah, well, that's what it is. Do that. Huh. 
And it would be the same thing for fire making, knife sharpening, gunsmith work, tracking, anything to do with the land. He always knew a little bit better than me. And as a kid, that would, I know, that's not the truth. That can't be the case. My dad can't know this stuff. My dad doesn't know anything. But as he, it's almost this horrible trope, this horrible joke, that it's not until your dad is up there, you know, late 50s, early 60s, and they're not moving as quick. They're not moving as fast. They're not as agile or lithe as they used to be. Only then do you realize these guys have a shit ton of information. I should have been paying attention to them all this time. I should have been asking him all these questions I asked everybody else. And it's almost this bittersweet moment when you realize my dad's brilliant. And I never asked him these questions before. My dad knows so much. And I never let him have the time to tell me them until now. It's a bittersweet moment when that dawns on you. And with a lot of thinking, a lot of consideration over the years, like I really do appreciate my father. Was he easy to raise me? Was it easy to raise me? No. Was he great at it? You know what? Could he have done better? Probably. There's a very good chance he could have done a lot better at it. There's a lot, there's a very good chance he could have done a lot worse at it, though. I was, again, not an easy kid to raise. I had a lot of trouble. I had a lot of problems. And so I had a lot of challenges for parents to raise that kind of a child. And he did his best. And he's never brought it up. He's never brought up how difficult I was. He teases me about silly things I did in my past. I think every father does that. Every parent does that. But he's never, you know, sat me down and been like, you know what? You were a pain in my ass about this and this and this and this. He never does that. Even though I would have not faulted him for doing it. To this day, if he brought up things I did when I was 11 or 14 or 22, and he was like, that was a stupid thing, and it drove me up the wall and caused me unnecessary amounts of stress, you know what? He would have, had, he would have every right to bring that stuff up. And yet he doesn't because it's in the past. That's that kind of wisdom he has. It was like, okay, it's done. He's learning. He's gotten better at it. He's not doing those things. My kid is doing better. And a lot of people always say things like, man, I wish my father told me he was proud of me. And I had that for the longest time. I had that, that very issue. I, I never heard it right from my father's mouth. And it bothered me. But then I would meet people from Curve Lake First Nation, from Alderville First Nation, from Scugog, from Rama, from Peterborough. And they'd be like, oh, your dad told me all about you and your bushcraft stuff. And he told me about this and this and this. He said, you're so great at this. And he's so proud of you about these things. And I'd be like, really? He said that? Really? And when I first made my knife design that I put up, my own, my own knife design, without... Uh, not the field craft by Top Snives, but what was previously known as the Dragonfly Knife and is now kind of the name is in the air by Top Snives. Um, he wanted the first one and he kept it in his truck, kept it with him. And uh, at first I was like, man, he just keeps it in his truck. It's just going to rust in there. Like, why the hell would he put it in there? 
and it turns out he was showing it to every person he met. You know what, my son designed this, my son made this knife. This knife exists because of my son. And that chokes me up. Because all this time I thought, as growing up in, in my 20s, man, my dad must think I'm a waste of life. I'm a waste of air. He must think that I'm worthless. He must be so embarrassed about having a kid like me who just wants to live in the bush and play in the woods and doesn't want to go out and make a 9 to 5 or be a cop like he was or be a teacher like his wife was. He must think I'm a waste of life. And then find out that he was boasting about me. Boasting about me. It's beautiful. And so I know that I'm spoiled in that way. I know that I have a, I'm, I'm blessed that way. And privileged. A lot of people out there don't have that. There's a lot of kids out there that don't have a dad in their life. And so I do what I can. I don't have a biological child. And I won't have a biological child. And so I do my best to help raise children. Raise boys and girls. Raise children, regardless of their gender. Regardless of their identity. Whether they're 14 years old or 3 years old. I try to be the best uncle to them. I try to be the best ceremony father to them. I try to help out every kid I can because I want to put, carry on that legacy of my father. That dry sarcasm, the bad jokes, but the doting, loving, caring, and proud, boastful pride about my children. Because it doesn't have to be about the blood. If you know there's a kid out there that would do better with you in their lives as, an, as a godparent, as a father figure whatever it may be be that be that person for them be that person for as many of them as you can because you're doing good for them you're doing a world of good for them and so on this father's day on this day that we celebrate fatherhood and the and the responsibilities that fall upon the shoulders of the right men that stand up and do the right thing don't think that it's only about the blood don't think it's only about those that donated genetic matter it's about those who stand up and raise children who stand up and raise children right raise them to respect all life all life and I'm going to make that very clear with no caveats all life that they make sure those children respect their mothers and honor their lineage that they make sure that these children honor the original mother our land that we live on that they make sure that these children honor themselves and cherish themselves and respect themselves that is the role of a father to protect to feed to nurture and when i say nurture it's not just food and it's not just doting on them you can do those things too but it's about feeding their soul making sure that they have all it they need 
Not always what they want, but all that they need. So that they can live a long, good, cherished life. That is the role of a father. Regardless of gender. Regardless of identity. Regardless of genetics. That is a father. Someone who raises children up. Builds them up. And makes them better people. Makes them stronger people. Makes them healthy people. That's a father. And that's what my father did for me. And that's what I try to do for all of my nieces. All of my nephews. All of my all of the kids that had come into my life. All of the youth that come into my life. And even some of the 20-somethings that come into my life. I try to be their surrogate in a sense. Their surrogate dad. And make sure that they're okay. Make sure they have what they need. Make sure they're fed. Make sure that they have clean clothes. Make sure they got their laundry done. If they don't have laundry machines, I'll take some of their clothes home and wash it in my place. I try to make sure that they have good information and have critical minds. My dad raised my sister and I have very critical minds. And observe and call things out. Both my parents did. Made sure that we called out injustice. That we called out things that were unjust and be damned anyone that disagreed or called us fools my father raised us to be strong he raised us to be passionate and he raised us to be loving as much as that's hard to believe my father raised me to be loving I just didn't know it at the time because I was so full of my own pain it wasn't until I was in my 30s that I figured that out. And so if you are doing those things for a kid in your life, then this day is for you. And this day is to celebrate you, regardless of who you are to that child. This day is for you. Happy Father's Day, everybody. Tread softly. And so for my special listener, Dad, this day is your day. Happy Father's Day. I love you, Dad. Happy Father's Day. Hey there, Dragonfly Nation. I hope you're enjoying this wholesome, sometimes deranged content. We here at Canadian Bushcraft love creating it. We do this podcast along with our live feed videos and several other projects for free to make sure information is shared far and wide to everyone. But if you'd like to help support this project and our other variety of projects, we would be so appreciative. You can find a link to our Patreon account in the information section of this podcast episode. As a patron, you will gain our undying love and admiration, and depending on the tier you choose, you will also get a few kickbacks in return. These include weekly patron-only articles, monthly one-on-one video sessions with myself or other staff to help you with the skills you're trying to hone at home, and also content such as this podcast one week sooner than the public gets it. You also get to have input on upcoming episodes as well as any future videos we produce. As a small business who wish to remain sponsor-free, we appreciate any and all support from our fans and followers. Thanks for listening, and I hope you have a good day.